Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. People from across the Bay Area head to Half Moon Bay to pick pumpkins and for a slice of rural life. But as the town's vice mayor said in a press conference this week, many of you come to the community for the pumpkins and ignore the farm workers. Not today. Not after the fatal shootings on two local farms. For people like Francesca Sanchez, who talked to our Mari Bolaños, this was a place they liked living for the calm. The community is beautiful, calm, and peaceful. It was like a paradise, she said, until Monday, until the shooting. We'll talk about the latest from Half Moon Bay after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. After yet another mass shooting... What is there left to say? The Onion headline from 2014 captured so much. No way to prevent this, says only nation where this regularly happens. It's guns and a violent culture and the social fabric tearing. But that's all in general. It's the abstract. For these specific incidents in Monterey Park, in East Oakland, and in Half Moon Bay, it just feels impossible to understand why this person on this day, in this place, would do this. Why these particular people are left without family members and without friends. For now, at least on this kind of show, I think the best we can do is try to understand each other, to know and learn the conditions of each other's lives. So today, we go to Half Moon Bay, and we talk about farm workers there and across our region. We'll listen and we'll learn. First, we go to Mari Bolaños, who is in Half Moon Bay. She's the co-host of The California Report. Thank you for joining us, Mari. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're down there. You've been down there. What's it like in town right now? There's a real somber feeling. Um, You can just tell something has gone on here. And obviously, knowing the situation and speaking to a few people, they're just heartbroken. You know, this is a really tightly knit community. It's not more than 12,000 people, and they seem to want to help each other out when they can. And right now, they just seem heartbroken for each other. It's it's really sad. Yeah. You've been able to talk with some members of the Mexican-American community that's down there, Mexican community that's working um, largely in the, the agricultural work there. 
What are people saying about how, how they're feeling about how this has affected like their sense of their community or their sense of work? I mean, we heard uh, one cut at the top of the show. Yeah, so this is typically like a small community, a little bit of tourism here, a lot of agriculture. Um, and one woman that I spoke to said she's afraid to leave her home. Um, she knows a lot of her neighbors who feel the same way, who don't feel comfortable returning back to work because, you know, they don't know if they can go left or go right. You know, they're just thinking a lot about their moves now that they know that something like this could happen in their community. And this is not anything that's ever happened in their community. So they really just, they don't know what to do besides hide right now. And it's, it's really heartbreaking to hear. Yeah. In talking with people there, what have they said about the sort of like conditions of farm work out there? I mean, it's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Cause, you know, I was thinking about the, the cut at the top of the show where, you know, the description was that this was kind of a a paradise for people. And at the same time, we know that this kind of agricultural work and the kind of living conditions that some people have are also pretty tough. Yeah, people don't become farm workers um, for the lavish lifestyle. I mean, they make between nineteen dollars and $25,000 a year, and they were already hit hard by the flooding. Um, They had really damaged mobile homes and the people who were living there. And there are a lot of people who are living on the farms and are living in multi-generational households. So often there are seven, ten people living in a home of one or two rooms. Um, They're not great conditions and they're not being paid well either. Um, And still they will call this a paradise. So I think that kind of says a lot about the people who chose to make this their home and to make this their livelihood. Let's bring in another uh, KQED reporter who's been on the scene to uh, to talk with us. Let's welcome uh, Marisa Lagos. You know her from her political reporting here at KQED, and she's one of the team that's working to bring you more information from Half Moon Bay. She uh, joins us in the studio. Thanks, uh, Marisa. Hey, Alexis. Thanks for having me. Um, let's talk a little bit about the other things that we know. I mean, what what have we been hearing from authorities about the the shooter and motivations or any of those kind of like news updates? Yeah, I mean, the sheriff and DA have been pretty tight lipped. Um, Zhao is going to be arraigned this afternoon at one thirty, and we expect more information than um, the you know the sheriff's office just booked him on seven counts of first degree murder and one count of attempted murder for each of the people shot. Um, But we've seen some reporting overnight. My former Chronicle colleague, who's now at NBC Bay Area, Jackson Vanderbecken, uh, talked to some police sources who indicate something that uh, Representative Anna Eshoo kind of alluded to yesterday at the news conference, which is that it appears, um, it's starting to appear to investigators as if this man targeted specific people that he had beefs with at these two farms. The first place um, he apparently lived with there at the mushroom farm with his wife. Um, and then the second place was a former fa- a farm he used to work at. Um, so it does seem like what's coming out is that these were sort of targeted acts. Um, and, you know, police have said that they believe he bought the handgun legally um, and that they don't have any indication of, you know, threats in the past. Although, Uh, There was some reporting from the Chronicle digging up some old court records in Santa Clara that a former roommate had actually taken out and and a former co-worker down there uh, a restraining order against this man in the past. Um, So, you know, I think we'll be learning more as the days go on. But, you know, whatever the motivation, I think there's just, as Maddie was laying out, so much shock and horror, um, not just in Half Moon Bay, quite frankly. Yeah. 
Well, and the the targeting of specific people really kind of recalls a, another horrific incident in Bay Area mass shootings at the VTA yeah. uh, in San Jose, right? Where, yeah, workplace-related, sort of disgruntled. I mean, but, you know, as you said, it's like, what's worse? I don't know. You know, the, the targeted yeah. shootings or the random ones? I mean, it feels just right. so never-ending. Yeah. Let's um let's hear a cut from uh, Governor Newsom um, at a press conference. I feared <laughs> two days ago that Monterey Park would give way to other headlines. Little did I know I'd be up here to give away two or three days from now to whatever the headlines will bring. Meanwhile, the trauma and the damage, the devastation is felt for generations in some cases. Communities being torn asunder, no one feeling safe. That's Governor Newsom. Uh, Marisa, what, what, we, what don't we still know? Like the victims' names uh, have not been released by uh, the authorities yet. Right. We are waiting for identification. And the sheriff, you know, to talk about the fact that it can be challenging to find next of kin in some cases if folks are immigrants or migrants from other places. Although it also sounds like there you know, are a lot of people that had deep roots in that community, um, even if they were originally from somewhere else. You know, I know the governor spent time with a lot of those victims as well as those in Monterey Park yesterday. And it's interesting, Alexis, you know, I've covered him for a long time and you can just hear how frustrated he is and I think how sad and it was interesting. I mean, this was the first official kind of press statements he's made since Monterey Park. He said he selfishly chose not to go to the news conference down there, that he wanted to just spend time talking to victims and kind of processing the whole thing. Um, and as I'm sure you've probably also heard, he took some pretty uh, hard swipes at Republicans, including House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from Bakersfield, who I think has literally said one sentence of condolences since any of this started mm. this weekend in L.A. Marty, when you're talking to people in the community there, are, are they mentioning that larger political context or the, the guns or anything like that? Or is it more just still the, the state of shock? Yeah, I think it's a lot of shock in figuring out, you know, how they're going to make ends meet. I mean, these are people who live paycheck to paycheck and haven't been able to work because of the flooding and now aren't wanting to go back to work because of this. And so I think right now their main concern is how do we make it to the next day? Yeah. You know, relative to other types of agricultural work, Mari, did has anyone mentioned to you that kind of the specifics of mushroom farming, we're going to try and get into this a little bit later in the show with some other guests, but have they been talking to you about these specific places at all? Um, unfortunately, no, we haven't really talked a lot about their uh, work, but I do know that they um, harvest mushrooms and Brussels sprouts and beans of that nature, but that hasn't been the focus of our conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think just also for people out there who might be trying to to imagine um, where this really happened specifically or what this kind of place is like. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's gone to, you know, Google Maps, even who hasn't been able to go down there and kind of tried to see, like, where is this? Um, Marisa Lagos, can you give us a sense of, I mean, it's right off 92. Like, if you've ever driven to Half Moon Bay from most places in the Bay, like, you've gone right past mm-hmm. where these shootings happen. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the first one for sure is, is on Highway 92 coming into town. And then the second one was a little uh, down further Highway 1. You say that as an East Bayer, Alexis, but I always come down one <laughs> through Devil's Slide. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are, this is what Half Moon Bay is known for. I mean, you talked about the vice mayor who's been so eloquent um, talking about his community, which, you know, he does double duty as vice mayor. And then this farm worker coordinator at um, the nonprofit that Maddie spent some time at yesterday. And, you know, it's we know Half Moon Bay for their pumpkin contest, you know, and Harvest Festival. Um, I go down there sometimes to buy crabs and fish straight off the boat from the fishermen. Um, but, you know, as we've kind of alluded to, like many places in the Bay Area, one thing that struck me yesterday is the inequity, right? I mean, you have a lot of wealthier, you know, white people who live down there um, and are often running businesses or retired. And then you have a lot of the farm workers who are people from other countries who are, you know, picking the food on our tables. Um, and so I think even though there's a lot of tightness and closeness, um, certainly the same sort of challenges that we see around our state exist there as well. Yeah. You know, Maddie, one of the other things people have noted is that the the alleged shooter um, is, is Chinese. Did you run, is the community of farm workers there largely Asian? Is it largely, you know, Latinos? Like, who who's there working? Yeah, so there seems to be a larger Latino population, and those Latinos are from Mexico or Honduras, um, El Salvador. Um, but there is a smaller Chinese population here, um, but they are much smaller in comparison to the Latino community here. Uh, today, in this hour of form, we're going to be talking about the experiences of farm workers in Half Moon Bay and throughout California after seven farm workers were killed in a mass shooting on Monday in Half Moon Bay. In this first segment, we've been joined by Mari Bolaño. She's the co-host of the California Report on KQED, which frequently covers immigration and, and underserved communities and can get back to work there in, in Half Moon Bay. Thank you so much for joining us, Mari. Thank you. We've also been joined by Marisa Lagos. She's a politics correspondent at KQED as well as co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown, also covering this uh, shooting for KQED. Thank you so much, Marisa. My pleasure. We would like to hear from you. If you're a farm worker or you work on the farms in Half Moon Bay or around uh, Northern California, what are your concerns in light of this uh, shooting? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about the experiences of farm workers in Half Moon Bay and throughout California after seven farm workers were killed in a mass shooting on Monday. Earlier, we got a news update from KQED's Marisa Lagos and Mari Bolaños, who have been down in Half Moon Bay. We're going to dive in deeper um, with folks who have been working with, with farm workers. Uh, we're joined this morning by Antonio de Loera Bruce. He's the director of communications with the United Farm Workers. Welcome, Antonio. Hey, thanks for having me. We're also joined by Jimena Bustillo, a politics reporter at NPR, formerly a food and agriculture reporter at Politico who covered uh, immigration, labor, and equity issues. Welcome, Jimena. Thank you for having me. We also are joined by uh, Belinda Hernandez Ariaga, who is the executive director and founder of Ayudando Latinos a Soñar in Half Moon Bay and a licensed clinical social worker. Thank you for joining us, Belinda. Thank you so much. Truly an honor to be here today. Uh, Jimena, I thought we'd uh, start with you. Can you talk to me a little bit about sort of the sort of countries of origin and documentation status of Northern California farm workers? Yeah, so uh, putting this into context of the incident, this is very unique because it happened on a on a farm and the victims are uh, very unique because they are farm workers. Uh, I think Mari mentioned earlier that particularly in that community, a lot of them are Latino. And, you know, it depends on if you're talking about H-2A workers, if you're talking about undocumented workers or documented workers, um, you know, fi- nearly. 50% of all farm workers across the country are undocumented, um, and others come through with H-2A visas. Um, but even that, you know, I hope we kind of get into talking a little bit about the patchwork of federal and state laws and how that can change the demographics. Um, for example, mushroom farms are not H-2A eligible, and so that farm worker hmm. workforce has to come through other means, whether that's documented workers or undocumented workers. Jimena, uh, two things. Um, explain to people what H-2A is uh, and why wouldn't mushroom farms be eligible in under that program? Yeah, so the H-2A visa program is a visa program for seasonal farm labor. Um, that means that it, um, you know, uh, employers, uh, farmers, contractors are able to contract these workers for a seasonal or a limited amount of time. And not all uh, crops qualify. Um, mushrooms are one of them. Um, usually labor employment that takes more time, so non-seasonal work, um, won't qualify into this. Um, but it is a little bit of a patch patchwork. And sometimes workers themselves don't even know where they are allowed or not allowed to work. And it could be at the whim of employers or the labor contractors who take them from farm to farm. Um, There's a lot to be discovered about these farms and and the specific demographics of these workers. I'm not drawing any conclusions as to whether or not they were documented, undocumented, or with visas. But I think that this kind of messy context kind of helps to shed light on how vulnerable these workers are already and kind of the specific nuances of this incident because there's a lot going on, a lot of regulation going on. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about how that leads to, um, you know, a culture of being afraid to speak up if workers are uncomfortable, um, not knowing which laws apply to which workers. um, And that makes the whole situation very convoluted and dangerous Mm -hmm. in many cases. 
Belinda, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, just the, the kind of how, the way that the conditions maybe tamp people's you know voices down. Sure. I mean, I think it's really important to first explain about this farm um, uh, because we've been going there for three years since the COVID pandemic. And my Allah's team, uh, our farm worker program and and team was there an hour before the shooting. So we know uh, the families well that live there. We know the victims. Um, we, Man, I'm you know, so sorry. Yeah, the team had even helped uh, the shooter uh, last week with some supplies and resources, a bike and a hoodie. Um, so these were people that were really close in to our community. We did this beautiful, I mean, my last, uh, well, I, I guess it's really hard to explain all the memories that we have of going there and and not really seeing um, this tragedy unfolding, but yet still seeing uh, the very harsh and inequitable and complicated, and I'm gonna use the word inhumane conditions that farm workers are forced to live in to be the same heroes that work day and, day and night to put food on our table. I mean, these are folks that you know, haven't stopped during the pandemic. And I also think that um, while they may seem voiceless, uh, they are also very committed to our well-being. I mean, when we stop and look at how they continue to work through the pandemic, even knowing before we had the vaccine, before there was protection, um, they were there saying, we're going to keep going. And recently we've been through the storms and at this particular farm, we were taking food to them because of the mud and the rain that had seeped into their homes. They lost um, their bedding. They, I mean, so much of their homes were destroyed. And so we're not also thinking about both um, from an equity perspective, their voices to be heard and also the mental health that's so needed for them during this time. It's been really hard to see. Wow. Belinda, first of all, I just want to, this is hard in the abstract for a lot of people and from, from a distance, I can't even imagine what it's like um, knowing that place so well, knowing the families that are involved. Can you give us sort of a, you mentioned the conditions, the inhumane conditions that people are living under. Can you describe what they're really like? Like, what is, how, how are people living there? Well, I mean, in this particular farm, um, they lived in like kind of camper style trailers mm -hmm. and they didn't have a kitchen. So they had hot stoves outside. Um, with one burner, porta potties for restrooms, um, you know, out in in dirt areas, a lot of, um, you know, as my team described, like insects, roaches, uh, rats. I mean, just the conditions uh, that they were made to live in, on top of the wages that we pay farm workers, you have to really understand the mental health and emotional and psychological and physical impact this is having on them. Mm -hmm. 
Antonio de Loera Bruce, uh, of direct, Director of Communications, United Farm Workers. Um, as I understand it, mushroom farms are not unionized. Is that right? Well, uh, not quite. Uh, we actually do have a contract with uh, a mushroom farm in Monterey, uh, where we're proud to say that uh, I think we have the highest wages and highest standards of safety uh, in the mushroom industry. Um, that's a stark contract. But is it fair to, to say this has been difficult, like a difficult uh, group to, to organize? All of agriculture is an extremely difficult group to organize because uh, nationally, farm workers have been excluded from national labor laws going back to the 1930s. Um, California only got an Agricultural Labor Relations Act because of the UFW's efforts uh, in the 1970s. And uh, you may remember the big march that we did to Sacramento last year trying to actually mm -hmm. change the way union uh, elections are administered in California uh, which ultimately we were successful in doing, and, and that's now in the process of being implemented. Um, but uh, under the previous legal regime, you know, last year and, and before, it was extremely hard uh, to actually have a, a really fair union election on, on a farm in California because of the way um, it exposed workers to retaliation. Um, and this can be uh, you know, a really serious uh, impediment uh, for, for workers. We, we mentioned all the workers who... You know, we're really struggling uh, with making ends meet just uh, week by week uh, and who were so impacted by losing work for a couple of weeks because of the storm uh, of the storms we, we just had in California. Now you think uh, these same workers get threatened with being fired. Right. For a lot of workers, even though they know the conditions are bad, even though the wages are really low, even though the work uh, can just be physically punishing uh, in extreme temperatures, uh, as, as uh, others have mentioned, uh, a lot of workers make the uh, risk benefit uh, analysis that it's easier to just keep your head down, uh, keep working. And we know that we have a saying here in the union that there's one law in the books and there's another law in the fields. Uh, it seems in, in this incident, you know, there's still a lot of details uh, that we don't know. Um, but in uh, yesterday, uh, something that caught our attention is Governor Newsom in his press conference uh, mentioned that workers there were making below uh, the California minimum wage. Uh, he said $9 an hour, which he himself said is not uh, the California minimum wage. So, uh, you know, it was in passing in the middle of this press mm -hmm. conference about a, a terrible shooting. But from a union point of view, we heard that and we thought, hey, wait a minute. Uh, is the governor of California publicly saying that there's an issue of systemic wage theft? I mean, we know that happens in agriculture. It's often very hard to prove. Uh, and often workers themselves, we tell them, hey, look, this is against the law. You you deserve more, but they're so it's so difficult for workers to get legal recourse, yeah. right? Let, let's hear, gonna... Antonio. Let's just let's listen into the we we have the exact cut that you're uh, talking about of Governor Newsom mentioning the wages uh, on these farms. Some of you should see where these folks are living, the conditions they're in, living in shipping containers, living in shipping containers. Folks getting nine bucks an hour. You want to verify the California minimum wage? Not nine dollars an hour. No health care, no support, no services. But taking care of our health, providing a service to each and every one of us every single day. So this whole thing is just a stacking of issues that come to the fore. So that's the uh, Governor Newsom 
um, mentioning the wages he'd, he'd just met, I believe, with a, with a group of people who'd been, who'd been working there. Belinda, when you hear the governor say that, and of course, I'm imagining that the conditions he's you know, talking about, as, as you've noted, are things that, that you knew, um, that people around there knew. Um, what do you want to have happen? Like, wh- when you hear that, what do you think and what do you want to have happen? Well, we also met with the governor yesterday and we were able to share these stories with him and provide this information from our farm worker team. But as you shared, this is nothing new to us and we have been sharing this. I think that's a concern I have. And hopefully what will come out of this tragedy is that we'll focus the spotlight more on farm workers that have been suffering, not just now, but for generations and continue to suffer in 2021. I mean, I think that is the key concern that why have there not been changes made? Why are these conditions still happening? Why do they still have children in deplorable, um, you know, conditions and wages? Even when you make at the minimum wage, a farm worker makes from 25 to 30,000 in an area of Hafen Bay where a home goes for 3,000 a month. We are doing a food pantry at Ala since the COVID crisis because our far- farm workers told us, our own farm workers that grow the food said, we're, we're choosing between paying rent and having to um, feed our families. And so we have been posting about this. We've been writing about this. We've gone to, um, you know, our politicians about this. We've given talks. I'm a professor at University of San Francisco. Any platform I can, I really try to highlight the disparities and hopes for change. But honestly, um, from this story comes another call for urgency for change. You know, we actually, I mean, we had had a show on the books about how the flooding had affected these farm workers, which we knew uh, was was a huge issue and had done so much damage to people, prevented them from working and all these things. And, and then to have this come along, it just, it, you know, as the governor said, it's a, a stacking um, of these of these issues. Jimena uh, Bustillo, the politics reporter for, for NPR, we, you've got the governor himself noting you know, as Antonio put it earlier, that the the law in the field uh, was not matching the law on the books. Um, what efforts have been made that that you've seen in you know, kind of years of reporting on these issues, or or maybe even just right now, as attention has been focused on them, to try and make the law of California apply everywhere? Yeah, so that's a really great question. California is unique in that it does allow workers to unionize and it does have heat protection rules and and a couple other things to sort of bring farm workers into the larger fold uh, of labor laws and protections. We've seen similar things out of Washington state um, and a couple others as well. Um, But I mean, again, it's just really this patchwork. It's up to independent states and what they pass and also to a certain level what the federal government passes through the Labor Department and through Congress. Um, You know, these are really rural areas, often really remote and isolated. It can be really difficult to keep track of 
individual workers' rights if they are migrating from location to location. Um, But it can also be really difficult for the Department of Labor or for state labor departments to make sure that these laws are being enforced, even in places like California or Washington. You know, California is supposed to have all these great laws, but if the governor is outright saying that they're not being paid the amount that they should, then that's um, potentially a, a clear violation right there. At the federal level, it gets really tricky. The Labor Department can only do so much without Congress directly implementing new laws. And as I believe it was kind of mentioned earlier, um, that might not happen for some time. So currently we have the House, which flipped to Republican control, and uh, Kevin McCarthy, who is the speaker right now from California, from Bakersfield, from an agricultural area, has said that he is not going to put any sort of immigration reform or immigration tangent bill to the floor while he's speaker. That is going to be two years unless something crazy happens and the House changes control, which is very, very unlikely. Um, So we have to wait until the next election cycle. That means that Congress is probably not going to pass anything to change the state of ag labor reform for the next two years. And that puts workers to still be living in the shadows because there's no hope that there will be a pathway to legalization from them at the federal level. It really leaves a lot of things in the state state legislature's hands as to whether they allow workers to unionize, whether they pass certain wage rules. Um, And it really leaves the Labor Department, um, you know, with limited options uh, as to what they can do. You know, I've had Department of Labor officials previously tell me that it can be difficult to even know where these workers are physically. Um, You know, that makes it really difficult to know if, if employers are following the rules or not. And I think that when it comes to making the connection here, it's really important to remember, you know, these workers, particularly in this situation, they were living in congregate housing Mm -hmm. uh, with their employer. Uh, They are subject to their employer for their jobs, for their livelihoods, Mm -hmm. for where they live, for where they work. Um, And if they are undocumented or already in kind of an, an unstable employment situation, that could make it difficult to speak up about threats, whether it's from right. fellow workers or um, their employer themselves. And so that that makes it a very unique situation. We're going to talk more about that when we come back. We're talking about the experiences of farm workers in Half Moon Bay after seven people were killed in a mass shooting on Monday. We're joined by Jimena Bustillo, politics reporter with NPR, formerly covered food and ag for Politico. Belinda Hernandez Ariaga, executive director and founder of ALAS, which is a community group in Half Moon Bay. She's also a licensed clinical social worker. And we also have Antonio de Loeta Bruce, who's the director of communications with the United Farm Workers. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the lives and working conditions of farm workers in Half Moon Bay. After seven people were killed there in on two farms in a mass shooting on Monday. We're joined by Antonio De Loera Bruce, the director of communications at United Farm Workers. Jimena Bustillo, politics reporter with NPR, and Belinda Hernandez Arriaga, who's the executive director and founder of ALAS, a community group in Half Moon Bay. She's also a licensed clinical social worker and a professor uh, in at University of San Francisco. Uh, Belinda, I wanted to ask you, we have a a listener uh, who wrote in to say, this is absolutely heartbreaking. I've always been on the side of labor, being a union laborer myself. It's beyond sad to know the humble life and struggle these workers lived meeting such a horrific end. How can listeners help this community? Please give some resources. Well, right now, uh, the families have been placed in hotels. They had to leave the home because it's a crime scene. I just got a text from one of my team because we're working to provide mental health support um, to them, crisis response, case management, along with others from the county um, in the city of Happen Bay. But uh, they were telling me, you know, they no longer want to live there. They no longer want to work there. They're completely terrified. And so for some of these, we're going to have to reconstruct their whole lives to start over in a community where housing is so hard to find, in a community where housing is so expensive. Um, So we're looking at, you know, economic relief, Mm -hmm. the immediate economic support. We had a family reach out and said, uh, and this breaks my heart, but they said, Belinda, can you buy the suit for one of the deceased so that he can, you know, have his body transported to Mexico and literally, you know, buy the clothes for him to wear. I mean, we're talking about the need is tremendous. Um, We're trying to get, you know, clothing to them, resources, helping the children heal is a whole nother uh, conversation because there were children there and there are children that live there. So um, you can look on our website, www.alasdreams.com. We have a fundraiser there and we're going to be giving economic support immediately this week to them and for the ongoing time. God. We're definitely here to stay. And, you know, as as Joaquin shared, um, our farm worker supervisor, these this was family, you know. Um, we know them. Just so everyone <clears throat> hears it, it's Alas Dreams. That's A-L-A-S Dreams.com. They've been working uh, with people there on the farm for, for years, and they're there on the ground in Half Moon Bay, and you're hearing their executive director, uh, Belinda Hernandez Arriaga there, alasdreams.com. Uh, um, you know, Antonio, this, as we heard from Jimena before the break, this is not a situation that Congress is going to move in some large way, right? I mean, this is a situation that is going to, things will get better on a kind of farm by farm basis, it sounds like. So where are where are you guys on 
uh, organizing these uh, mushroom farms and and is this what do you prioritize uh, anew? Well, uh, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you look at the contrast between the conditions that were, uh, you know, are being described at this farm versus um, the conditions, you know, at, at a unionized mushroom farm. Um, were to me, it seems very clear that long term, uh, the only way in which we can balance uh, the power uh, dynamics between workers and employers, make it more favorable to workers so that they're not living in fear, that they can speak up when they feel threatened, so that uh, they can demand fair wages and actually enforce their exist what little rights they do have under the existing laws. Uh, that really needs to come from the workers themselves. And the way to empower workers is through union. Uh, it's funny you ask this. We're actually in the middle of a, of a pretty intense fight to unionize a mushroom farm in Washington state right now, Oster Mushrooms, where the workers have actually voted um, to uh, to unionize. But uh, because Washington does not have an Agricultural Labor Relations Act like California and because there is no uh, inclusion of agriculture, because rather I should say agriculture was excluded mm -hmm. from the National Labor Relations Act, uh, this farm has no legal obligation to recognize the union. So we're down to using public pressure, down to using boycotts. Uh, we've got the workers, you know, standing in front of supermarkets telling uh, mm -hmm. consumers not to buy Austrian mushrooms uh, in the Seattle area. Um, so this is the kind of fight that we're in. Uh, in California, uh, we're very excited to have AB 2183 hopefully be implemented sooner rather than later. Uh, we're still uh, pending some implementation uh, details that yeah. we agreed to with the governor uh, last year after our big march uh, to, to try to push this legislation through. Um, once that's implemented, uh, we think that the the way union elections worked will no longer be as stacked against workers and will allow workers to vote for union representation without fear of being retaliated against. And retaliation, right, can mean firing. For these workers, it can also mean deportation, right? So mm -hmm. it's so... I always say people underestimate how bad it has to get for workers in agriculture in particular. These most vulnerable workers, they're living right at the poverty line. Many have immigration status that expose them to very serious consequences, uh, including threats of deportation. Um, for those workers to decide that they've had enough to actually walk out, to go on strike, to vote for a union, it has to have gotten really bad and things have to be pretty serious uh, for that to happen. Um, so that's why we are dedicated to, to continuing to organize farm workers. We are hopeful that with the new law in California, we will have an opportunity to expand the number of farms that currently have a union contract. And, and we are proud of the fact that in the mushroom farm, uh, Monterey mushrooms that we represent, uh, we have some of the highest wages and highest standards in the industry. Workers there are making $45,000 a year. Workers there have benefits. Workers there have uh, health care. They even get a pension, right? This is not true for most of the agricultural industry, but there's no reason it shouldn't be. We believe that in California, the people who feed us should be able to feed their own families, and that's what we're all about. Hey. Antonio, we've got a couple of questions coming in from uh, listeners about kind of how to support these efforts, really. Uh, Jessica writes, this is all extremely eye-opening 
And I'm so angry to hear the farm workers' living conditions at this farm and others and that state laws are inadequate or not being implemented. I want to buy mushrooms from the unionized farm in Monterey. Does it have a brand? How can consumers influence through purchases and what can we do as voters? Karen, with a similar question, uh, says, I'd like to know how I as a consumer can be sure that the produce I'm buying comes from farms that treat their workers properly and pay them a living wage, particularly as it pertains to shopping in farmers markets as well as uh, local grocery stores. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Unfortunately, uh, most, uh, even in California, which is one of the only states where farm workers actually have a right to unionize, less than 1% of farms are unionized. Um, and, you know, we're realistic about the fact that not everyone at this moment will be able to to find that union label. Um, but that said, Monterey Mushrooms is a brand uh, that that is unionized. We obviously encourage uh, folks to buy from there if they can. Uh, but the real, the real thing uh, we need is... Uh, obviously, we do need the laws long term nationally to change. And in the meantime, we need support uh, as, as we get these union drives going in the next year and two years as AB 2183 gets implemented. Um, so this is a uh, there's all these issues that impact farm workers. Right. We've talked about the storms. Uh, I'm sure that this summer we're going to have another wave of extreme heat, wildfires. Mm-hmm. Workers are going to be out there uh, uh in those in that smoke in those in that heat working and so farmers will continue to need your support as the ufw we obviously appreciate the public support um as we try to grow this union and uh organize more workers despite the very challenging circumstances uh that they face in, in agriculture yeah um one listener tweets in to say you know workplace shootings are often correlated to job loss or fear of job loss, um, you know, was the mushroom farm trying to fire the Half Moon Bay uh, alleged uh, shooter? We, um, I don't know that we can speculate on that I- I- exactly. I don't want to ask anyone to do that. Um, but Belinda, I did want to ask about the kind of conditions of, um, you know, I guess conditions of, of fear uh, or, or perspective uh, workplace violence and how that has shown up in the kind of mental health services that you've tried to provide to people there, not just after the shooting, but before the shooting, um, working in these communities and trying to help um, people address, you know, their own mental health. I really appreciate you asking that question. It means a lot because as a mental health clinician, you know, that's something I'm always um, aware of and thinking about. And it's been our platform at ALAS to, coordinate our services with mental health support, but that is also a significant gap that we've identified in the farm worker community that they don't have good access to mental health services. It doesn't mean that services aren't available through, you know, different programs or the counties, um, you know, behavioral health services, but whether or not they can access it is really the question. And what we have heard over and over from them is that they're not able to. And so when Alice, uh, when our team started going out during COVID, we found that the level of um, mental health need and demand for you know services was really high in the farm worker community and what we have seen is the level of anxiety the level of stress isolation um even depression is significant we recently did a study with a student from Stanford University Juan Carlos um along with our Alice team 
to work with the farm workers and um, do use a testimonial narrative to fully understand um, their experience. And we, you know, during the study identified that mental health and fear and trauma was one of the, were the biggest markers that showed up. And so when you look at historical trauma they've experienced, when you looked at generational trauma and then workplace trauma, and just the sheer physical exhaustion, fatigue of the job, you know, just that takes a toll on them. And then not being able to know if they're going to be able to support their family. Um, do they have enough money for the rent on a weekly basis that is relentless and never lets up? You know, the mental health need is high. And so in closing, I, I do want to push that we also need to do more as a country and as a state to find ways to make mental health accessible to farm workers. At Alas, we just launched an Equity Express bus with an actual transformation of a double-decker bus that's going to have telehealth and in-person mental health. We have our University of San Francisco team of mental health clinicians and faculty working with us to make this happen. And we're really proud to see that we're changing the way systems happen to really make mental health support available on the ground in the farms where they live. Belita, you're incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and just the, the work that's that's happening there. And I'm sure it's you know so difficult to get going, especially because people are just trying to you know improve the kind of daily daily condition of of life. I um, Jimena Bustillo, politics reporter with NPR. I did want to ask you. You know, when we were looking into kind of workplace violence in um, among agricultural workers or in agricultural workplaces. Something that came up a lot was specifically gendered violence um, that undocumented women um, uh, may experience, or at least that are vulnerable to experiencing. Can you talk a little bit about um, both that that situation and what has been done to address it, if anything? Sure. So again, the Department of Labor uh, went on this large campaign to try and communicate resources that exist, um, not just for migrant women, but all farm workers experiencing some sort of uh, violence at their workplace. But, you know, it's reaching those workers and putting those workers in a space where they are able to speak up about what is going on without fear. That is the biggest challenge and that it persists even when it comes to uh, instances of harassment and, and abuse uh, for uh, workplace violence and, and women. I, I do think that it's kind of important to note that that is really what's at the crux of the issue here is the majority of this workforce is undocumented or mixed status. And that really just places them in a vulnerable situation where even if these laws are in place, right, even if California has the world's most perfect laws, there are still gaps in enforcement. There are still gaps in the workers being educated and fully knowing what their rights are. And then there are gaps in knowing where to go to get that enforced in, in to begin with. So there, there's multiple layers. Like even if you have the laws, do the workers know what those laws are? Mm -hmm. Do the workers know where to go to have those laws be enforced? And are the enforcers 
always going to be available to enforce said law? Um, And the answer often is no at multiple levels, either because there just aren't resources, the laws aren't there, the communications aren't there. Um, Another layer, I know I'm I'm the girl with all the layers here, (laughs) is labor, uh, farm labor contractors. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you have we have all these um, listeners on Twitter asking us, you know, how do we know that the employer Mm -hmm. is is doing the correct thing or that the farm, you know, how do I buy from a farm that is doing the correct thing? Well, the the employer in the farm might be doing the correct thing, but there's a thing called a farm labor contractor. And that is who is sort of placing the farm worker at the farm, Mm -hmm. but they are the ones doing the abuse. They are the ones that are shorting the wages. They are the ones, you know, holding workers at gunpoint, as we've seen in other cases coming out of the Justice Department. Um, They are the ones that are manipulating workers into not knowing what their rights are. It might not actually be the farmer themselves or the the larger operation. It might be these labor contractors. And there's a huge gap of enforcement when it comes to these labor contractors. Um, And that, again, adds to the layers of why it's so difficult to protect this labor workforce and why it's so difficult for that workforce to be protected, um, you know, amongst each other. Thank you so much. That's a, a comprehensive and excellent answer. Thank you so much, Jimena. Um, last uh, listener comment, Amy writes in to say, I was so impressed with all the public officials who spoke at the press conference on Tuesday afternoon from local leaders, emergency responders, state representatives, all the way up to Governor Gavin Newsom. I was impressed with their ability to say so much in the face of such tra- tragic and devastating terror and loss. Forward-thinking, direct, sincere, understandably frustrated. We desperately need that across this nation. Thank you for the show. We need to keep hearing about this and especially about the communities who are affected and will continue to need help and support. Thanks for listening. We've been talking about the experiences of farm workers in Half Moon Bay and throughout California after seven people were killed in a mass shooting on Monday at two mushroom farms in Half Moon Bay. We've been joined by Antonio de Luera Bruce, Director of Communications with the United Farm Workers. Thank you so much, Antonio. Thank you. Been joined by Jimena Bustillo, politics reporter with NPR. Thank you, Jimena. Thank you. And we've been joined by Belinda Hernandez Ariaga, who's the executive director and founder of ALAS, that's Ayudando Latinos a Soñar in Half Moon Bay, just a community group. Their website is ALAS Dreams. They're working directly with the people who are affected by this shooting. Thank you so much for joining us, Belinda. Thank you so much for having me today. Earlier, we were joined by Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent with KQED, and Mari Bolaños, co-host of The California Report, who are both working on this for KQED. This hour of forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, and Jennifer Ng. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Judy Campbell is our lead producer. did heroic work on the show. Thank you so much, Judy. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Christopher Beale. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reininger. New, uh, new Jericho Reininger. Uh, Susan Davis, our senior producer. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin Linty. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. This is Forum. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with me to Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.